1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 318, recorded May 17th, 2020.
0: So today we're covering eight stories from the Waypoint specials. Eight. That's a lot of stories. That's a lot of
1: stories. And some of them are fairly meaty. I mean, none of them as meaty as a real, like, a dedicated comic book story. But eh, some of these are kind of meaty, and some are short. Um, right. It's a nice variety. That's that's cool.
0: And I enjoyed all of them. Sometimes these other stories, Waypoint, you know, there's usually like one story that you didn't like, but mm-hmm. uh, I would say all four of these stories, or all eight of these stories, there's only one that I might not be as crazy about as as right. I was the other eight, uh, the other seven. But uh, one, but even even one. that one was still kind of cool. So good job, Waypoint people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm about
1: the same. It's the Janeway one I was kind of,
0: Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the one I was thinking too.
1: Yeah, but, but it was still good. I liked it. But that's borderline. Right. The, other, the other seven are, are very uh, liked. And some are really liked.
0: Yeah, and the, and the first one, all four of those, I really liked. And I wasn't expecting to like a couple of them because of the artwork is a little Ooh. cartoony or goofy. Yeah. But then I ended up really liking the story.
1: Right. Yes, we'll have plenty to say
0: about artwork. I yeah. think. But uh, but yeah, I liked it, and I hope that uh, I hope there's a 2020 waypoint special. I haven't yeah. heard of anything, but uh, I would love this to continue.
1: Oh yeah, this is this is great. I, I think they found a really good way of telling Star Trek stories that doesn't necessarily have to be monthly. Right. So, which can be a little bit. I don't know. I guess people can get sick of it after a while.
0: I don't know how, but yeah, how do you get sick of Star Trek? Exactly.
1: Well, apparently enough people did.
0: But what I like about this is that you're not constrained to even telling a story about characters you know. I mean, like in the first one, there's a story that has absolutely nothing to do with anybody we've ever met. That's true. But uh, it's still, but it's like, in the engaged. Star Trek
1: universe. Yeah, quite engaging. I like it. There you go.
0: All right, so we just jump into the first one.
1: Let's do it. Okay. So, I'm doing the 2018 Waypoint Special. Some refer to it as Waypoint Special number one. Cover artist is Josh Hood. Cover colorist is David Garcia Cruz. Production design letters, Neil Yataki. Editors, Denton J. Tipton and Chase Morotes. Publisher is Ted Adams. There are specific artists within each of these four stories. But before I go to that, let me talk about the cover. So the single cover, I only found one cover, which is odd for IDW, shows five characters from the four different stories. So Esri Dax is there. Q, who I wasn't 100% sure that was Q until I really started reading the stories, but it, it looks like Q. It's a, a side profile kind of thing. Spot the cat, Data's cat. And last but not least, Kirk and Spock are at the bottom. Kirk is holding a UFP flag in his right hand that has some little tattered bits at the bottom, which is kind of odd. And then he's holding a phaser pistol in his left hand. Spock is holding a phaser rifle, which I don't think I've ever seen Spock hold a phaser rifle, except, I mean, outside of the, of the second pilot where No Man Has Gone Before. So other than that one scene, I never saw Spock carry a rifle before. And... He's looking like he will take feces from no one. So he's got an almost angry look on his face. He's a bad butt. Let me just put it that way. Look on his face. Which is unusual for Spock. So maybe this will be an unusual story. We'll see. Okay, story number one is a post-Deep Space Nine story with Ezri Dax. And it's titled, Only You Can Save Yourself. Story creative team... Is oddly enough a creative team. So it doesn't say who did what that I can find in the book, but it looks like the writer and artist team is made up of Dave Baker, Nicole uh, Gao, maybe? Is that how you pronounce it? A silent X at the end? And Miquel Muerto. Well,
0: on the cover page of the book, it says that the writer is Dave Baker and the artist is Nicole Gao. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for the correction.
1: Yeah, because when I look at where the story starts, it all just mixes everybody together. That's what I was looking at. Oop, my mistake. Okay, so, right. In the sickbay of a Federation installation, men, women, and children are huddled together as a locked door is blown in and three angry armed Andorians enter firing their weapons. They are sporting pro-Andorian slogans and saying, Die, Federation scum! somebody got out on the wrong side of the bed i think in response to the andorian shots that are endangering her patience shots are fired from a powerful starfleet phaser when the dust clears the andorians are neutralized and Ezri dax steps forward into the light from her place of concealment with a warm phaser rifle in her hands She, and a fellow Starfleet medical officer named Zenth, are responsible for their patients' lives, but does not make her forced use of a phaser rifle any easier to stomach. She directs everyone in sickbay to start moving to Shuttle Bay 17, where she hopes to get everyone out of the compromised base via shuttle. The mental ghost of Leela Dax speaks to her descendant Ezri and gives her advice about leadership and responsibility. They find a door barring their way that they cannot open. The ghost of Tobin Dax, an accomplished engineer, suggests power to the doors have been rerouted away to the phase coil inverter cooling system. Esri takes it from there and has an idea to reroute power away from life support to power the door's opening mechanism. It works and they move forward until they hit a wide opening rip in the floor. With advice from Emoni Dax, an accomplished gymnast, Ezri is able to get across the opening by swinging from cables and overhead piping to get to the other side. From there, she is able to get an emergency walkway extended that the patients use to cross to the other side. As they approach the hangar, they spot broken fuel pipes. The ghost memory of Toriac Dax, who was a pilot, warns Ezri that broken fuel lines may spell trouble if the shuttle they intend to use is not fueled up. A loud. Screaming noise deafens Ezri and her group as two angry Romulans jump out of the shadows and attack. As she heads to the deck against her will, Ezri hears the ghost whispering of Joran Dax, who was a musician and oddly enough a murderer. He tells Ezri the deafening noise indicates the asteroid installation is reaching critical mass and will kill them all soon. Esri is energized by the gloating voice of her evil ancestor and kicks the Andorians off her. Esri becomes Chuck Norris and takes out the second Andorian with a Kung Fu kick while saying, Gah! What a time to think of food. She leads them all to the shuttle entrance and gets most of them in when she realizes Zenth and one of the patients is missing. She must wedge herself in a closing doorway, Gant style to keep it open long enough for the last two to enter the shuttle. With Jazia Dax and Kurazan Dax's ghostly encouragement, Ezri finds the strength to keep the door open long enough. The Federation shuttle speeds away from the asteroid base, with Ezri, Zenth, and their patience. Rather than relishing their small victory, Ezri observes, they won today. But will they be able to win tomorrow's war?
0: The end. So were you confused about this issue at all? I was
1: confused as to exactly the time period, as I mentioned to you a couple of days ago. I was confused about that. Is that what you're talking about? Or... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, so... <clears throat> I... To be perfectly frank, I did not remember that Esri was such a junior uh, officer. And looking at her pips now, it looks like she's a lieutenant junior grade uh, right. in this story. So I did not... So you, you corrected me and let me know that she was an ensign in DS9. So it's like, okay.
0: I think she was. I'm pretty sure she was.
1: Okay. And the thing that kind of confused me a little bit is I know she becomes captain. And uh, she actually is in a novel that I read where she was one of a variety of characters that were involved in it. And she was the captain of the... I forgot the name of her ship. But right. uh, the Venture? No, not the Venture. Uh, whatever. It'll come to me, probably. Anyway, it—I mean, with her starting out as such a junior officer, getting to the point of captain... Which this novel was set post DS Nine a fair ways, but I think it was still a story that had Riker and Picard in it. So I was a little confused that she was able to become captain. What seems to be relatively quickly to me, but uh, she does have
0: all that uh, that that uh, background to fall back
1: on. Exactly. Well, exactly. So she's got all that experience from senior Starfleet officers. Uh, Corazon was a, a an ambassador for the Federation. Um, yeah, a lot of experience. Aventine is the name of her ship. Oh, okay. So I was kind of that. That's what I was confused about.
0: Yeah, so I was kind of confused about um, why the Andorians were attacking. So, ooh, good point. <clears throat> I knew that there was. I knew that the Andorians played a part in the uh, the Typhon Pact um, books and stuff that mm-hmm. came out. Post uh, DS9, post Voyager, right, kind of thing, um, <clears throat> even post Nemesis, but I had never read them. But I did look them up, and it was about Andoria succeeding from the Federation. Oh boy, really? <clears throat> and uh, things like that. So that's obviously where this takes place. Is that it's uh, during that time period when they succeeding or have succeeded. And uh, not, not on good terms with the Federation at this point. I have not read a, sto- a novel yet
1: that actually had the Typhon Pact in the middle of it, but I did read a story that was where they referred to the Typhon Pact. Right. So the Breen are in, in the Typhon Pact, and uh, yeah, okay. A lot, a lot of books to read. That, that is what is so great about the Star Trek universe. There's just a ton of stories out there that we have not read yet
0: exactly and you know may never get around to reading them all that's that's the sad part is that uh <laughs> well, you just don't have that much time there you go there you go to read everything right as far as the story goes um i like this one but it it also uh, kind of is on the lower edge of uh what i liked about overall uh, mm-hmm. the other eight right um I still think that it falls in the, the "I liked it" category. I liked kind of her talking to all the different people, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't like that she's literally talking to them sometimes, and then everybody's mm. like, "Hey, uh, yeah, who who are you talking to?" She's like, "I'm talking to myself," you know, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> Just. <laughs> But uh, but I, I liked it, and I and I liked how even like when she had to do the gymnastic stuff, and she's like, uh, "Because you could do it doesn't mean I could do it." Exactly. And she's like, oh, "Don't don't think that way. Just do it." Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think about the artwork? Uh, definitely cartoony, which yeah. uh, I'm not I'm not opposed to. I like it. Um, I mean, it, it's different.
1: Yeah. I didn't like it, but it's like I don't hate it. So yeah. it's like, it's okay, fine. Uh, but it is cartoony. It, it almost reminds me of Archie Comics. Uh, you always say that. Yes. So whenever I see kind of childish artwork, it often reminds me of Archie Comics. I still don't know how, uh, how that show... Riverdale. How, I don't know how that show could even be on. Anyway... Um, and as in particular there's one particular part where i think it was one of the first times where the first ghost uh, memory comes up to her mm-hmm. and she's standing next to the the tall blue uh guy that doesn't seem to do much but is like her buddy her partner in crime whatever and she's in between the two and she is drawn she looks like a teenage boy i mean she Ezra looks
0: or the ghost
1: Ezri. Okay. Ezri. Ezri is drawn like a flat-chested teenage boy. Short hair. He looks almost like he could be a buddy of Wesley back when Picard was kicking Wesley off the bridge. No children on my bridge. Um, and I mean look at that. It's like it looks horrible. I mean, Ezri yeah, is always a short woman. Well, she's a short woman, but I mean she's really a cute woman, quite frankly. That actress, I think, just look at those eyes. But look at her. I mean, she's drawn like a a little boy. I don't know. I I just Mm -hmm. thought... I objected to that particular panel. However, towards the end, when the shuttle is streaking away from the apparently asteroid base, I think that's pretty cool looking. I think the shuttle was nicely drawn and a nice little reflection of a nearby star in the the windshield. I think that looked pretty cool. Although, it does kind of look like... uh... (laughs) Flames are coming out of the back of the uh shuttle, but still it looked that that part looked good.
0: Yeah, it's a different design. I haven't seen that design before. Yeah. Um I, Yeah. I, I like that part and I like the I like the I like the artwork. Yeah. I like something different like this. Yeah, it's different. It's it's and different. uh I don't know. I still think she was cute often in this in this story. It, yeah, and you know, there's some good butt shots
1: too. But I'm saying in this particular panel,
0: she was drawn to look like a little kid. <laughs> and really, well, when, it's only that panel. It's, yeah, I, I see the panel. And you're right. She does look very small there.
1: Well, actually, looking at the panel above, where they're all like running, she looks pretty right. bad there also. But it's, but that's so far away, it's kind of hard to say. But in this one, I'm not crazy about it. And, and doesn't that uh, engineer look a little bit like Odo? That engineer ghost? Um, To me, anyway. Except for the eyebrows. So Odo didn't have eyebrows, right?
0: No. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I kind of see it with the ears. A little bit. Yeah, the ears are on everybody almost look Vulcan on all of them. They all have very prominent ears. Yeah. At times, with Ezri's hair, it looked like she had ears. Yes, I agree.
1: Like that one with the engineer. Uh, she, right. the, the, yeah. her sideburns are coming down just, just the right way it looks like ears. Yep. yes and so I looked up the actress uh, Nicole Boer Boer or Beers or F,
0: yeah something like that
1: B-O-E-R <clears> okay <throat> and it's interesting seeing a picture of her back then and now so I've got a picture I, it, there was also a picture of her uh, a more recent one and it's like oh my god I am old because she's, I mean, she's still a beautiful woman, but she looks pretty uh, wrinkled, like she might have been out in the sun a lot. But um, it's like that just indicates how old I'm getting. <laughs> well, did you look up her age? What, what year was she I, born? That, I that'll, don't. that'll make you feel old. <laughs> probably. Yeah, she was, she was like born in the 80s or something. Anyway, probably. I have no idea what her age is. But then while I was there, because of course they showed some pictures of Terry Farrell. The actress that played Judge Zia. So then I was looking at that one, and there was a beautiful woman, too. But then I also saw a picture of her when she got married to Adam Nimoy. And I'm looking at that picture like, oh, wow, she's gotten older, too. Oh, well,
0: Adam Nimoy is... any relationship to Leonard? His son. Really? They're married? They're married. Huh. Isn't that odd? That's really odd. Know. That's right. That's crazy.
1: Because Adam Nimoy is an okay-looking middle-aged guy, I guess, but he's certainly not anything to write home about. And Terry Farrell was always a beautiful woman. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess they uh, they met somehow through some Star Trek thing, and uh, they got
0: married. That's cool. That is now the um, the 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 special. Uh, what we left behind, the Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. special.
1: Right.
0: she's in. She's in it. So, and I think it's a fairly new movie. So definitely, uh, it was. Uh, I think I've seen. I've seen her what she looks like currently. Right. Both of them. R- but cool. they never mentioned that uh, Terry Farrell married.
1: Well, son. maybe that was more recent, or they figured why mention it.
0: Yeah, why mention it?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <clears throat> but you definitely need to watch that special if you haven't watched it. I
1: I watched the beginning of it. I really should get back and see the rest of it. Yeah. Was that the one Was that the one also that they were uh kind of like saying, you know, uh we really should um update the series and re-release it in Blu-ray. Was that the one they were always also uh, saying? I don't that? know.
0: They I don't know if they say that, but they do talk up they, basically the structure of the show is uh the writers coming up with a season 11 or season 8 whatever oh season. Uh, yeah.
1: uh, another one okay
0: yeah so they're like what if we brought it back to do a season today okay where would the story have taken us and so they just talk about it and in they just in interviews yeah so there's like uh, there's interviews with all the cast from past past uh you know they're talking about making it but then they keep cutting to the writing room and they're and those guys are coming up with what could happen in another in in the quote unquote next season? Okay, and, so I haven't seen that. Yeah, and I'm it's really good because then they a, even show one. like little uh, like drawings and stuff of what what their proposed season would be. Sure. Which doesn't fit with anything that we know of Star Trek, so uh, obviously it's it's just fanfic. But uh, <laughs> they they didn't use any of this in the books or the uh, Picard or anything like that. But right. uh, but it, it's interesting to watch, anyways. Okay, so I, I should go
1: and take a look at that.
0: But back to this issue, um, I did like the Andorians how they kind of drew them. Some with the look like some of them had the forehead antennas, and some of them had the the back antennas. Oh, I didn't notice that back antennas on the back of the head. Yeah, you know, originally they had antennas oh, that's in the back right of their head. in the back of and the head, then, and then in Enterprise they flew the into the front. In the front. And that's kind of been uh. what you've seen going, you know, that's usually what we see most of the time now. Right. Good point. Right, which in the expanded universe, they have described that as two different... Species? Well, not species, that Andorians have four genders. uh, Oh, right. There's a male and a female gender that has the antennas in the back, and then a male and female gender that has it in the front.
1: Yeah, what what was it, like four
0: different people are involved in a... In making uh, four new, different adults. And making a, a, a new... Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's a very convoluted process.
1: <laughs> the Prometheus books, a trilogy of novels. One of the main characters is Andorian. And she left and all that stuff, to join Starfleet, partially, because she did not want to be part of <laughs> a coupling thing. Gotcha. So, um,
0: anyway, so they go into a lot of all that in the... Uh, in that novel, yeah, which I think is that's also part of why they left the Federation and stuff too.
1: Well, there was some kind of a um, like a plague or something it, well, that there, was there keeping was, them
0: from reproducing.
1: Yeah, there was some kind of population issue. Yeah, and which yeah, put like even
0: yeah you know, yeah
1: which put even more pressure on this character to stick around. And uh, anyway, someday you may read it.
0: One day I would like to read all of them.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's, I like that's that. My goal. Yeah, so it was uh, the, the cat. Yeah, it's, it's worthwhile. I really do enjoy the, uh, the trio of books.
0: The Prometheus books, those were originally written as uh, German books that were later translated into English.
1: You know, that's really interesting because um, when I went looking for the audiobook, in Audible, on Audible, um, at first, it was only in German, available in German. Right. And it was like, what the heck's go- German? Um, but I guess eventually they translated it, right? like you say.
0: Right. Eventually they released them as book forms, and then uh, Big Finish, which is a uh, UK audio company, they, yeah. they released the audiobooks as audio dramas.
1: And because I knew it was Big Finish, I thought they actually – at first I thought that they actually wrote it. Big Finish wrote the whole thing. But no, apparently they just adapted it from the right. novels. Okay. Yeah. Which they did
0: a great job. I mean, I Which I think that. might be why they. that's all they've done is because maybe they only had the rights to the books that were written originally in Germany and not any of the books that are written by Simon & Schuster right. in the U.S. So. Right. It's too bad because uh, I haven't listened to them yet, but they they look good or they sound good from what I've heard of them. They are good.
1: They have a, the the I think it's I think he's Scottish. At least it sounds like a Scottish accent. The guy who does the um, the narration, right? Um, he does a good job. Cool. All
0: right, we done with this as story. I think so. All right, let's move on.
1: Story number two is titled "Consider Eternity." And the creative team is made up of writer Brandon Easton, artist Josh Hood, colorist Thomas Deere. A new life form is born, the combination of three entities. Commander Matt Decker, Navigator Ilya, and Vger. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy witness this at the conclusion of their desperate mission to save Earth from potential destruction at the hands of an insanely powerful alien object that turns out to be not 100% alien. The new life form coalesces into a humanoid shape, free of the trappings of a three-dimensional universe. It suddenly finds itself in a rural farm setting, and is approached by Q, oddly enough, dressed in a nice tan or is it gray suit. In his boredom, Q takes it upon himself to tutor the new life-form in the ways of ascendant omnipotent life-forms. Self-control is the watchword, as with great power comes great responsibility. Recognizing that the Decker component of this nascent entity is the weakest link, he brings it forward to make sure Decker gets it. First off, Q makes sure Decker lets go of his anger towards Kirk and how he took enterprise from him. Having done that, Q moves on to the basic rules of omnipotent entity existence. He makes ample use of metaphors to explain the universe, multiverse, omniverse, and points to a representation of the start and end of time itself. Decker asks about interfering with beings with free will. Q says he is skipping ahead, but so be it. Q presents him with a life-and-death situation involving outnumbered Federation ships versus Romulan ships. Decker is given the opportunity to save the Starfleet crews, but he is also told of the potential ramifications of tampering with the timeline. Though it pains him, Decker decides to let the Starfleet crews perish. Decker asks if he can go back to being human, and Q responds, why would he want to do that, and shows him the wonders of the universe, that he can see and experience as an omnipotent being. They arrive back on the farmland construct, where Ilya is there looking for Decker. She asks if he is coming home. Decker joins her and thanks Q for the tips. Q tells him, not to mention it, uh, to anyone. The V'ger, Ilia Decker entity rejoins and departs, saying it understands its purpose now. Q laments on all the lessons he could have shared with Decker. Time passes and boredom tugs at Q's jacket. Q sees a starship, with a D on top, a bald human in a red and black uniform, talking about Deneb-4 and a great unexplored mass of the galaxy. Q sees a chance to shape the destiny of another band of space-faring primates. Q's clothing changes to that of a familiar Grand Inquisitor, as he says, oh yes, this will be so entertaining.
0: The End yeah, when I read this, I did not notice Q was on the cover. So when I got to this story, I was quite surprised that it was a Decker-Q story.
1: Yep. If you didn't look closely, you'd think it was Data, because he's facing the cat.
0: And he's right? holding it, right? You actually see his hands petting the cat.
1: Right. So you could mistake him for Data from the angle that they showed him. But right. But I, when I saw the cover, I was confused, because it, it didn't... It, it's a <sighs> It's not a hundred percent Q. You could take him for not being Q the way they drew it, uh, but he's not data either. So it was like eh, I'm confused. And then okay. you know when I read, yeah,
0: yeah, uh, no, yeah. It, it was great. I I was surprised, uh, right? Because maybe I just didn't pay that much attention to the cover and went straight to the book. I don't or I don't know, but all I know is that when I got to it and and that's that's who the the glowing guy was was <laughs> back I was just like oh man this is amazing it it's, is i mean i tying two characters that i you know i have never tied together right and i've never thought of those two interacting but it makes sense and i right. enjoyed
1: the story quite a bit um, recently on your suggestion i listened to the um, audiobook of the novelization of star trek the motion picture and i love that book there's so much more I got out of it that I didn't get out of the movie. Uh, more subtle things that they really... I mean, quite frankly, the story was a little draggy as it, as it was edited and, and directed. So they really couldn't bog it down even more. But having the luxury of reading the book, it was like, wow, there's a lot of details going on here. And as I was reading it, I, I wondered what, what became of this combined entity. Because you never hear about him again. Um, So, and then here's this story. And it's like, oh, excellent timing. I really wonder what happened.
0: And now we see. Yeah, the timing of that was quite funny that we just both finished the book and then here he is. Exactly. So that's great.
1: And uh, also about the story, I, I love seeing Q. So that's great. I also thought it was kind of interesting how Decker, who is kind of Riker... Was tempted with a similar omnipotent power scenario. Oh, good point. As Riker was. I forgot the name of the episode, but was it first season? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's the second time we ever saw Q. Okay, there you go. So Q pops in, he gives Riker omnipotent power and leaves. <laughs> and then Riker's dealing with this. Right. Uh, and, I, and I think Riker had a similar kind of thing that he had to go through. Um, and didn't he like save the crew or something or I forgot. It's, it's been a while around. since I've seen that one. Right. Anyway, so
0: there you go. No, I was good. Yeah. And, and I kind of liked how they, you know, Q's like telling Decker, Hey, yeah, uh, do you, are you sure you're ready for this kind of power? Right. And, and Decker's like, yeah. And yeah. then he's like, shows him a picture of Kirk and he's like, so you don't hate this guy? Oh no! I I hate that guy. (laughs) Maybe I'm not quite ready. I
1: thought that was good. And it's like it's very clear in the book, and you you get you get it from the movie too, that Decker was not happy being
0: taken over. uh, I mean, losing the Enterprise to uh, and rightly so. Yeah, Kirk. I do think even in the book and the movie, he oversteps his his uh, authority. He does. So, in that starship fight,
1: I was Mm -hmm. a little confused. Um, Because looking at the ships that were involved, the one ship named the Newton, I think Newton was on the... Yeah. Yeah, so I I think there were two Starfleet ships and then three Romulan birds of prey. Yeah, old school ones. Old school ones, exactly. Um, Exactly, so so that's part of it, too. The thing is, the, the one ship, the Newton has a primary hull design, which I'm familiar with from Eagle Moss. And they've got a ship that's a purpose-built warship. And, and that is, like, after the Enterprise, but, like, on the heels of the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, NX-01. So it's an old ship. And I always thought that ship was probably from the time period of the Romulan War, maybe. Um, right. And who knows, maybe that ship was actually shown at some point on Enterprise, but I don't think so. Um, and then the other ship looks like a Reliant-class ship. And that, the only place I saw, the first place I saw a Reliant-class ship, of course, was in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So that's later. That's, that's way later. It's, that's later than Taw's uh, episodes, and it's certainly later than um,
0: the Romulan War. Right. Well, here's the funny thing. So okay. uh, the USS Newton is a ship oh, you looked it in, up. It's in the J.J. J. Abrams movie. It's one of the ships that's part of the Armada that goes to Vulcan and gets destroyed. Oh, okay. So it's the but same we never registry see it. number. Yeah, we do. I mean, it's part we of do? the Armada when they all getting ready to leave together. Oh, okay. Sulu Zulu doesn't take the handbrake off. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, we see it. It looks just like that. It has four nacelles and everything, and the same registry number, 1727. Okay. So it's weird that that is a J.J. Abrams ship, and then the Reliant is a Taz, which at this time in the motion picture era, there's supposed mean, to be that. we yeah. can assume that there's Reliance around there, too. Just we haven't seen it yet. Right. Because, I mean, I don't think in Wrath of that was a brand new ship. It seemed like it had been, been around a while. Okay, but— but, yeah, why are they fighting the Romulans at, at uh, the original motion picture era? I don't right. know. Right. Okay. Okay, but there's a reason. Fine. But definitely the Newton shouldn't be there.
1: Well, it's from a different... I mean, it's from... Okay, so... Okay. So it's, it's just... Uh, apparently they lifted the, the Newton's primary hull from something that looks a bit like an Enterprise, you know, uh, time frame ship. So that's interesting. I, I think I got that right. Um, I mean, I've got the Eagle Moss thing. I, I guess I could pull out the book that comes with it just to confirm the time period. But I thought that was like around the the Romulan War. Anyway, in the bottom, bottom line is I thought it was a bit of a mishmash, kind of a mashup uh, of ships that didn't quite belong together. So I wasn't sure if that was because Q is supposed to be omnipotent, but... As we see at the end of this story, which I thought was so cool, how, but the time period when he's showing Decker all this stuff, he's not actively involved in humanity, to the best of our knowledge, he's not right. actively involved in Starfleet. Yet he's whipping up something that'll resonate with Decker. So was it so because he, you think he put the battle together, or I thought he just took him to that battle that was actually well, happening? But who knows. I mean, Q could do anything. He could have whipped it up. So, yeah, I I wasn't sure which one was the case. Did he just take him to uh, something that happened in the past and he just popped him in? Or did he just whip it up Mm -hmm. uh, based on, I don't know, information Decker's mind? I wasn't 100% sure. But I did think it was kind of an inconsistent uh, mashup of ships.
0: Yeah, well, definitely the the old Todd ships with the new... um... Designed, Reliant definitely was a little off-putting. Because those uh, old from ships, from a Taws standpoint. Uh, well, Taws movie. The, well, the yeah, the original movie and then the new movie, but then the old ships. So yeah, I don't know the old uh, Romulan ships. I don't well, like. Well, yeah, the, exactly. Those Romulan so, ships, so.
1: Right. So the Romulan ship is clearly from Taws. TV show. TV show. The Reliant is clearly from Taws movies. Motion picture, yep. Exactly, so later, era. later right. in time, different era. And then we've got the, what, the Newton. And, right. and again, that half, that, that like half nacelle uh, just reminds me of a, of a different one. But you're right about the four, the four nacelles. You can't really see it that well, but I guess there are four nacelles. Right. Uh, okay. Cool. So I'll have to go back and watch the 2009 movie and just skip forward to where they were all zipping out. Anyway, right. it just seemed like all, an interesting combination.
0: Yeah. It is interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know. I took it that this was actually happening so sometime after the motion picture but before Wrath of Khan kind of thing. Right. Somewhere in that time frame uh, with their costumes and everything. Everybody's wearing the motion picture era. PGM well, yeah, is... that, there
1: you go. Exactly. So that's the movie era. Now, that's the first movie movie era. <laughs> so at least that's closer to the Reliant-class ship.
0: Right. That's another good, good point. So, yeah. So that captain that's helping that guy get up, uh, didn't he kind of look like James Cromwell? Who plays mm-hmm. Zephyrin Cochran?
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. But, you know, with the grey hair and looks like a tall man. Right. And the face. So long face.
0: So my last comment on this, I really liked it. Um seeing Q kinda of mentor this guy was a little odd because we just, you know, finished the Q conflict where mm-hmm. he was getting all these other omnipotent beings to have a little war between mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of odd that if V'ger, Decker, Ilya was out there and they were also an omnipotent being, then why were they not included in the, in the, in the battle there? <laughs> now, now that well, I've read this and it's put that idea in my head, I'm like, well, why weren't they there? Well, And why did, why did Q mentor this one where he kind of seemed antagonistic against all the other ones? Well, because they were, in that story...
1: It wasn't just one being that was just born. No, no, Th- those were like omnipotent races. So there were you know, there were a lot of those, uh Ailborn and his people and then whatever the name of the uh, other one was. Uh the like the teenage Metron. boy. Metron. There you go. Metron.
0: And then and then
1: There you go. So um Though, and Trelane apparently is representing... Anyway, there's a lot of those omnipotent beings where this is unique. There's only one combination, Viger, Decker, etc. Um, and it was just born. So it was a little different from the other ones. But yeah. Yep. I guess they could have included it.
0: Right. But, so out of the eight, this is going to be my favorite. So just, uh, <laughs> just throwing that out there. I like two a lot. This is a
1: really good one, too. I I do enjoy this one. All right. Anything else to say on it? Nope. All right. What's next? The next one is My Human Is Not, which is story three. Writer is Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artist is Sunny Liu, L-I-E-W. Okay, so my apologies to everybody. I mistakenly did not do a prepared synopsis, so I will wing it which i'm not good at so um apologies to all okay so this is a nice little story that involves data and his pet cat spot oddly named um and it's a it's 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 a nice little story data is in his quarters and he's doing his thing and uh spot the cat is interacting with him He's scratching the back of Data's data pad to get Data's attention. And it is time for Spot to get some food. So one of the things that Spot says he likes so much about uh, his human, who is not, is that he is so well trained. Data goes through uh, getting him food and uh, acknowledging the fact that, uh, as I guess many cats, I've never owned a cat, uh, Spot's a bit picky. About what he eats so uh, finally uh, spot settles on feline supplement number 25 and again spot says he's very well trained anyway so uh, eventually data goes on for his day and he has to go out and and do his duty shift and spot says oh I do not like when he goes away I hate being alone but then you see what the cat's day is like as he entertains himself knocking plants off of uh, shelves and fantasizing about maybe being in a place a fantasy place that's maybe a room without any walls that has soft ground and a vast skies above and uh, which is really kind of cool because uh, he's only ever been I guess on a ship anyway so data returns and spot. Goes to welcome him, but then Data does not act normally. He actually says, Move, animal, and kind of kicks a Spot out of the way as he's walking. So uh, then Data sits down at his workstation and, and does some things, and he is acting very oddly, not like Spot's uh, master at all. So Barkley is at the door, and Barkley comes in with a Mahjong set. Every evening on this particular day of the week, they do Mahjong, uh, Data and uh, Barkley. So Barkley's ready to do it. And Data, before Barkley enters, grabs a phaser and arms it, but puts it back out of sight. So Spot is not liking what's going on here one bit. He knows there's something weird going on. And in the end... Data is trying to get rid of Barclay but when Barclay refuses and says he will take his duty shift which is the reason that he that Data is giving to get rid of Barclay Data uncharacteristically grabs the phaser out of his desk and says to Barclay you shouldn't have come here fleshbag and then Spot says "Uh-oh" and <laughs> leaps at Data with a big Brah! and bites into Data's hand, of which uh, Data reacts unusually like a human and drops the phaser and ends up uh, getting scratched in the face by Spot. And then uh, Barkley knows enough that this is not Data and uh, calls security as uh, Data knocks Spot against the wall and says, Off, damn cat! So uh, Barkley says, this is not Data. Data is lore, and then uh, lights out for the cat as it goes hurling against the wall. Sometime later, the cat wakes up in sickbay, and Dr. Crusher is taking care of it. It was injured, and it turns out that that wasn't Data, it was Lore. So somehow Lore got onto the ship and replaced Data, And was carrying out some nefarious deeds when Barkley interrupted him. And Spot turns out to be the hero. How wonderful. So Data's definitely getting down to where Spot is being uh, taken care of. And Spot wakes up groggily and sees uh, Data. And he knows this is Data. This one is mine. He is not. And yet he is... Human. And that's how it ends, with uh, Data taking care of Spot back in the uh, his quarters.
0: It's so cute.
1: I'm about to cry. Anyway, that's the end.
0: I like I like this story.
1: Yes. It's a cool little story. It's nice and light.
0: It's cute. I was not expecting to like it. And I've seen, like, pictures of this mm-hmm. in previews and stuff uh, in other Star Trek comics. You know, they were kind of, like, advertising this one. Mm-hmm. And it was this story that they always put up there, like, the first page or so. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, "Oh man, that one looks bad." <laughs> but when I actually read it, I was like, "You know what? Uh, this this might be up there with one of my favorites out of these that we we read today." Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I really liked it. Just how Spot was like, "Oh, he's so he's such a nice human, soft hands," mm. and uh, you know the, the way he was categorizing how his day goes with with uh, with the events that Data does. I liked it.
1: Right. Yeah, so seeing the world from the cat's viewpoint, it was like a Data's Day episode, but it's Spot's Day. And I thought that was pretty cool. And they even interjected a little bit of a peril, a little bit of a a thing where Spot gets to be the hero. Very good.
0: Right. Very Stops nice. lore.
1: Exactly. You know, again, you don't have to have ship battles all the time. It's a nice little story within the Star Trek universe. Right. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Like the a lot. So um, I like the end when it was like he may not be uh, – the other people don't see him as it, but he's human or whatever. He's my human, mm-hmm. yep. something like that.
1: Though the he's obvious... not. My human, though he's not.
0: Right. But uh, it reminded me of the, you know, the eulogy that Kirk gives uh, oh, Spock right. at the end of Star Trek II. Right. Which is most, funny because
1: – The most human soul he has ever met.
0: Yeah, in all my travels, I've exactly. never met anybody, so... Human.
1: And you got to say it right.
0: Right. Human. So what's funny is that uh, there's a TV show called uh, Harley Quinn, which is on the yep. DC streaming app. Oh, okay. It's, it's a very vulgar uh, cartoon about uh, about Harley Quinn. Okay. Haven't but anyways, uh, there's a, a character named Clayface, who's mm-hmm. voiced by Alan Tudyk. I don't know if you know oh, who yeah. he's oh, yeah. from... Uh, uh, Firefly. Firefly. But anyways, uh, I-, I love Alan Tudyk, but he yeah. plays this, this actor, you know, who, whose Clayface is an actor that got deformed into the monster, but he's always, like, doing these, like, little monologues and acting! You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but there, there's an episode where somebody dies and then he just busts out and starts doing this long eulogy. Yeah. And it's the eulogy from Star Trek 2. <laughs> <So, laughs> So I'm watching it, and then I start quoting it, and, and then <laughs> he gets to the part where he's like, in all my travels, I've never met anybody so human. <laughs> 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 oh, I was laughing so hard, and my wife was like, what's that from? And I'm like, it's from Star <laughs> That's great. Uh, it's okay. hilarious. Okay,
1: so this show is serious and vulgar, like made for, made for adults, apparently.
0: Sure, but- sure.
1: It is very it's it very welcomes the idea of injecting uh, humor.
0: Oh, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I, 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 the first couple episodes I didn't care for it, and I was yeah. just like, I'm not going to like this show. But I'm glad I stuck with it because once it starts going, it's like it actually is a real. It's actually has a real long story arc and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like it because at first I thought it was just going to be a bunch of little standalone, mm-hmm. vulgar episodes. Yeah, <laughs> but then once you get past the like the third or fourth episode, you're like, oh wow, this. This is one long story, and mm-hmm. it's actually really good. I highly recommend watching it. Okay,
1: another thing for my list, but that's only available through the DC
0: streaming app. Streaming I, I think it, it'll probably be available on uh, HBO Max when that comes out. Ah, but uh, but as of right now, it's only on DC streaming. Okay, but definitely worth it. You Should watch it. Okay, it's good stuff.
1: Half an hour episodes or full yeah, hour? Yeah, or?
0: short. 22-minute okay. episodes. Oh, good. Yep. Easily consumed. Exactly. Yeah, and it's very funny. And they throw in a lot of meta jokes, so it's all good. <laughs> good. Okay,
1: so that's that's all I have for this one. You, anything?
0: Um. Artwork? You want to say anything you, about that? kind of mentioned it. I love the artwork. It was very... Very different. different. Yeah. Very different. But uh, it and, works. And, yeah, because it's like it's not how we see the world. It's how the cat sees the world. Oh, So okay. everything would be a little different, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um. My only thing was the same thing you mentioned. He, uh, lore acts very human when he gets bit. I don't think that that would have hurt him like it would hurt a human. No. And, uh, for him to be like, drop the phaser and smack the cat around, say, mm. you stupid animal. That was, uh, yeah, I don't think that to being an android, he would have done that.
1: Yeah. That was a little, I think that was a little continuity flow, paw, but whatever.
0: Yep. Well, yeah. Forgiven. Can't have him kill Spot or Barkley, so i would. not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alright, that's it
1: Alright Okay, now this is an interesting one um, I didn't like it at first, but then when I, when I figured out what it was I liked it quite a bit, especially when it ties into. Okay, the last story is called Histories Writer and artist is Matthew Dow Smith, so he is Mr. Everything, except for Colors, which is done by Sean Stephen Strubble in a primitive village with thatch roofs and skirt-wearing humanoid aliens comes a rustling in bushes at the edge of the jungle. A red beam of light lances out of the jungle and lands on one of the alien humanoids. More beams follow, hitting four more villagers. Humans come out of the bushes, holding weapons they call phasers. The first three invaders move forward deeper into the village, followed by three more. One of them carries a flag attached to a pole. Eventually, one of the first riflemen returns, saying the village is secured. The one in a golden shirt, the leader, drives the flagpole deep into the ground. The United Federation of Planets flag waves over this village now, and Captain James T. Kirk says the planet now serves the UFP, while he is flanked by a man with pointy ears on one side and another with a dour look of a man who has seen one too many patients die. Hold! The hologram recreation of what the presenter calls the Massacre of D-Nan-Doc is meant to be instructional of historic events. The presenter goes on to say that humans from the Federation of Planets was their race's first contact with aliens, and they could not have been worse people. He says the Federation killed and took over entire civilizations to feed their warlike, never-ending expansion machine. Their goal was to take over the entire galaxy, and they called it the Prime Directive. The instructor continues to say awful, untrue things about the Federation. Until a lone young voice says with conviction, That's not true. He says our ancestors, a thousand years ago, joined the Federation willingly. They were not conquered. The histories are all wrong. The instructor wants to see the young rebel named Novitiate after class. Later, three elders question Novitiate. As he bravely tells them, the histories are all wrong. He sticks to his guns and asks the elders why the Federation is no more. Where did they all go? Your histories do not say. Novitiate tells them the history he has heard from more dependable sources. The Federation protected them, taught them, improved their lives. By the time Novitiate finishes his defense of the Federation of Planets, no one is left in the room. They will never listen to the truth because it is not their truth and their truth is all that matters to them. Later, young Novatate packs up his things including an old Starfleet comm badge he found somewhere and says, I believe. He leaves with a knapsack on his back.
0: The end. So is that his name? Uh, I think so.
1: Well, I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, right. uh, N-O-V-I-T-I-A-T-E, however you pronounce that. Right. Nova T-8? I, I don't know. That's probably yeah, not. but
0: that's, that's – T-8? A, yeah, that's a word that, that people – that are for people that are uh, joining monasteries and things like that. So it's, it's oh, someone it's title? who's – Yeah, it's a title. It's a title. So it's somebody who's okay. not – Yet a nun or something like that. So they they're, they're oh. uh, in the uh, training stage. So okay. I think that's his. That's like his. So uh, like Padawan. Rank. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's like Padawan. Okay. Right, and that's why they're saying that you know they they don't give him a name. They're just saying you're, you're this initiate, and if you're going to question us, we're going to kick you out, and you'll never learn anything. And he's like, well, I think it's true. And then they kick him out. Okay. I am completely unfamiliar with that that word. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I think I'm pretty sure that's that's where they're going with that. That's his rank or his yeah his rank world. his this order. general his general label. Yeah.
1: Okay. Like student or something. Right. right. Okay. Okay, so this story—I mean, they don't come out and say it, but I'm pretty sure this story is completely related to Discovery's third season. Where all we've really seen Are clips I mean you know they went, they went a thousand years in the future But what's it like a thousand years in the future uh, And we've seen Some uh, trailers uh, For right. the third season And The Federation is no more um, There are some people that have Old Federation flags And obviously Michael Burnham's Charter is to bring back the Federation or something.
0: So, that's use reading this in 2020. This this book came out in November of 2018. I don't think they had planned out that far yet. Because I mean, definitely season two had finished. Yeah, or even started. Um,
1: I I am not. We don't know when they plotted all of this. So I think this is completely tied into. Where they thought Discovery was going to go. Okay. Or they co opted it for season three of Discovery. <laughs> okay. But I cool. completely, th- th- I completely de- think this story is tied into the third season
0: of Discovery. I mean, it does seem like it, but yeah. then I was just trying to do the, the, the timeline, sure. and I'm like, sure. I, it, I think it might just be a coincidence. Well, let's, I don't like season Let's see what season, like that, see what season
1: so. three is about. And if we find out that the Federation is not only dead, but that maybe their what the Federation was is totally rewritten by whoever is the winner and is basically making the Federation sound like evil, vile people, we'll find yeah. out.
0: Yeah. I mean, you might be right. I
1: Again, I am often very confident in my in my opinion, but I, I'm really confident about this. Because wouldn't that be interesting if they did that? Because that would make it even more interesting. Because I thought it was just going to be a situation where, for whatever reason, the Federation fell. But this opens up the possibility that maybe there was uh, some kind of third party that hastened its... Its end, but rather than a direct battle confrontation, they, through subterfuge and time, was able to have the Federation explode all by itself. Right. And then, to make sure it was dead and buried, so they had power, they rewrite history. I mean, this is this has happened all through Earth history. Um, it continues to happen to this day. There are politicians in our country that are rewriting what happened in the past.
0: Not even so, the past. Just sometimes just like last week.
1: Well, <laughs> and you know what? Last week is the past. That's yeah, so, true. It's happening today. And I'm not going to say anything because that would betray my political beliefs. But the history, recent history, is being rewritten every day. So that would put it all, A really interesting spin on season three of Discovery, if that's what this
0: turns out to be. Yeah, no, I agree. It would be interesting. Yep. So, but now I think maybe we got our hopes up on season three. Like, oh "Oh, man, (laughs) what if they do this, and then they they're gonna do something that that's weak, nothing like it. Uh, I hope I'm not wrong, but we'll see. So I did like in the story how when they came and conquered this village, but. Their uniforms, the Starfleet uniforms were kind of a mix match of Taz and mm-hmm. Motion Picture Era with the like the, the lapels that come over their, their chest and And maybe bell. some other other
1: influences mixed in. Uh like what? Like Battlestar Galactica. So Battlestar Galactica's uniforms are are pull, are pull across like that, and they've got buttons along the left edge, hmm. which you can see that on Spock's tunic. No, you can see it on all of them. Yeah. Well, I oh well in a different panel. In
0: different panels, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, across different panels. So yes, it is a really interesting mashup from different influences, and I call some influences from uh, Battlestar Galactica too. Right. Or maybe even if you want to, uh, Babylon 5. Or maybe I'm just listing different uh, science fiction franchises that use the same uniform ideas. Exactly. But I definitely will say that those buttons going along the left edge. Right. That, for whatever, it maybe it's just total coincidence. But that's exactly the way they do it in, in Battlestar Galactica uniforms.
0: Right. So one of the influences I think they intended, but... I kind of wonder if maybe they backed off on it was um, Nazis. Ooh, Nazis. Because if you look, they have armbands on their ah, on their biceps. At least Kirk does. They, well, they all do? Yeah, they all do. Oh, yeah, but there's it, McCoy's. It's weird that it looks like maybe they purposely put a word balloon over McCoy's yeah. when it would have really promptly showed it. Ah. That maybe they were like, yeah, you know what, let's move that word balloon down a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> to expose a swastika. Yeah, to, yeah so, or, or whatever is going to be there, whether it's a Federation logo or what. But right. uh, I kind of wonder if maybe they are like, yeah, this is maybe too much. Right. Uh, but again, total speculation on my part. Maybe right. they always intended to not show what was on the armband. I don't know. Right. Or they want you just to get I – because mean, if, if they showed the
1: UFP symbol, then maybe you wouldn't get the Nazi thing as strongly. Or if you just show an armband.
0: Right. You can Maybe.
1: leave more to your imagination. So, yeah.
0: So I, I I thought that was an interesting take on it.
1: Yeah. So this kid having such strong convictions, it's like
0: uh, he
1: must have been told about this from his parents or his crazy old uncle or something. Because it seems yeah. like this civilization has definitely drank the Kool-Aid that somebody's serving up. I assume this is not just this race. So, like I said before, there's probably a third party involved in this that's pushing this rewriting of history. Right. Probably not. This is probably not just a uh, something within this particular race.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe whatever happens to the federation, the communications between planet goes down, and and uh, you kind of regress back to your own beliefs or something. I don't know. They never mention a third party, so... I mean, no, uh, that's, that, that's conjecture on my part. It could just be a Mass Effect thing where now there's no warp drive or communications with other planets, so you're just stuck on whatever planet you're on, and...
1: Oh, that happened in Mass Effect? Oh, spoiler. I, I, I've <laughs> never played the game, although I'm, I'm aware of it, and I like some of the ships and stuff. Is Mass Effect the one with Normandy?
0: Yeah, yeah. Right,
1: Okay. Um,
0: no, I was a hardcore fan and then then they kind of ended it and I didn't really like how they ended it. Oh. It, it kind of ruined it the future for me. Oh.
1: Oh. They didn't they they didn't want the uh so they ended it where they don't have faster than light travel anymore so everybody's stuck where they're at. Uh
0: spoiler kind of, yeah. Yeah, huh. they basically uh, all of the faster than light So did it. they
1: use so the drives don't work, or are they dependent upon uh, gates? They were dependent on gates, yeah. Okay, okay. That makes more sense. And the gate network went down or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: sorry if I ruined a 20-year-old game for anybody.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's
0: quite that old, but it's it's up there. Yeah. Time moves by so fast, it's just ridiculous.
1: It is. It's just amazing.
0: So uh, this, this badge that he has, it seems like it's made out of metal and not uh, fabric.
1: Well, Which, also take a take a good close look at it. It's got oh, it almost looked like okay. Those pips. are probably just dings.
0: Yeah, I think it's I just thought dirt. those were pips. Yeah, yeah no. At first, I dings. thought it was too, but then they they change panel to panel, so I think it's just dirt. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, if it was pips, then it would definitely fall in line with uh, discovery. Right, and that really is not a
1: discovery badge. That's a Taws badge. Only right. you're right. It seems like it's it seems like it's metal as opposed to fabric. Right. But who knows?
0: Which leans it more towards the J.J. Abrams. But they don't, they don't have the logos in the middle of the Abrams, do they? Uh, yeah, they do.
1: Yeah, they I think do. they yeah. do.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, this is more of a J.J. J.
1: Probably. Uh, probably. I mean, because it looks like when he's closing his, his hand on it, it looks like something solid. Right. as opposed to... folding. Like, exactly. a like a patch. Right. Right.
0: Cool. So, uh, I like the alien design. I thought it was very... Uh, reminded me of the stack from Land of the Lost.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said that. You remember, remember those guys? Land of the Lost. Same exactly. song. Um... I remember the humans in it. I don't remember the sleestacks stacks as well, quite frankly. Because mm. well, that was a long time ago.
0: They look like this.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now nah, they were just lizard people with, with big black eyes, which is uh, okay. what these guys
1: kind of look like. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, the, like, the two-tone head, that was reminding me a little bit of... Um, who's that woman on, the, on Discovery Bridge who's, like, part robot? Oh, um, oh, man, I forgot her name. I know who you're talking about. But you know that clear line differences in the color. I mean, is right. that is that really their head, or is that like some fabric or something?
0: Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was a uh, like some kind sort of like smock or habit type outfit that they're wearing, especially mm. since they were initiates and things like that. So right. yeah, I don't know. It's unclear. Right. But all of them have it, so maybe it is more of a skin tone thing. Right. Okay. So that kind of reminded me
1: of her. Uh, yeah, I could see but... that.
0: Especially with the way the ears kind of look like they're there, but are covered up or something. Like up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her. I I uh I mean I like that they in the books they had her become uh the Terran Emperor.
1: in the comic books,
0: right. Yeah, in exactly. The right? Yeah, they, they,
1: they featured her a lot more.
0: Yeah, I wish she would have had more screen time in the show.
1: Yeah, I think they should. I think they should continue spreading it around more, the screen time, right? So that more of the characters are able to uh, well,
0: develop themselves have that, a little bit. That one good episode where it was a lot about her. Yeah. Okay. All right, what else you got on this one? I don't.
1: No, I don't. I don't have anything else. I I, I really like this one. But so this is my top two,
0: really, really? out of all eight.
1: Um, the- I think so. Oh Well, well we, we between this one and the uh, Q one. Okay. I don't. Uh, I did kind of like Hearts and Bones though. Um. Okay. Let, let's keep going. All right. Okay, so, um, so, that's the first one.
0: Yeah. So my last comment though on this one is uh, the little oh. crystal fireplace thing in that the they're middle. Standing around, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it just reminded me of both Krypton and uh, <laughs> and the the way that uh, Q was showing the future in the past. Oh right, right. It, it was also a, a crystalline fireplace looking thing. Right, but it was huge. But it was huge. Yeah, we're I did just... like how on that one he was like, "Yeah, so this part's the future and this part's the past." And he's like, uh, "Decker's like, it looks the same." Thought, <laughs> yeah, and
1: then Q comes back and says something about a metaphor or something. <laughs> it's like, hey, don't you get a metaphor? <laughs> I can't actually really show you the future, the beginning and the end. Come on. Even, right.
0: even Q's can't do everything. Anyway, All right, so shall we move up, uh, skip a year and go to uh, the 2019? Please, let's do that. All right, so this is called the Star Trek Waypoint Special, two thousand nineteen. It came out March of two thousand and nineteen. Uh, again, four stories. Um, overall, the 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 staff is the letters and production design is Tom B. Long. Uh, cover artist is Stephen Mooney. Assistant editor is Ani Perhentuba. Editor is Chase Morotes, and group editor is David Tipton. And uh, there is only one cover, which is nice. And it is of, uh, it's kind of a collage, so at the bottom is the Enterprise from the Taz era. Standing on the hull, taking up maybe about uh, half of the page, is Beverly Crusher, full-bodied, with her arms crossed. And then around her is an array of heads, starting at the the lower left we see Janeway, and then above her is McCoy, and then at the top is Kirk, smirking. And then now going back down, uh, the the right side is uh, Spock, and then finally Worf at the bottom. So, first story is entitled Hearts and Bones. The writer, artist, and letterer is Stephen Mooney. And the colors are by Lynn O'Grady. So it starts off with McCoy seeming to have struck out with some woman he is talking to through a closed door. She seems to be offended by something and bids him goodnight. Frustrated on how things went and returning to his quarters, McCoy bumps into the last person he wanted to see, Spock. Spock offers him his assistance, but McCoy resists and heads to the bridge to inform the captain that he will meet the man in his quarters as soon as the captain's shift is ended. Later, when Kirk arrives home, he finds McCoy along with a bottle of booze. The two talk about the disastrous evening. McCoy wants to know how Kirk is so suave and good with the ladies. And then Kirk points out that maybe McCoy has uh, not made things easy for himself since he is going after a Vulcan woman of all people. The woman, we learn, is there to watch McCoy perform an operation in the morning, and McCoy has fallen quite smitten with the lady. The next morning, the next morning, McCoy, Nurse Chapel, and the visiting Vulcan, who we learn is named Dr. Tahan, meet to start the operation. It takes a little over two hours. Tahan says she's impressed with his abilities, but accuses McCoy of being distracted for some reason. McCoy disagrees. And when Tahan leaves, she confirms that she'll be seeing him later for dinner. We learn that dinner is actually in Kirk's dining room, and it includes Kirk himself, McCoy, Spock, and Tahan. Tahan states that she quite enjoyed the meal. Spock and McCoy then start a bickering match, which is pretty normal. But then it seems to escalate very quickly, and Kirk has to actually stop the two like a parent scolding his children. Tahan then leaves for the evening. McCoy rushes out to stop her. They talk and she states that she was not offended by the outburst earlier and states that if she ever makes it back to the ship, she's going to look him up. Spock then arrives and McCoy swallows his pride and asks the man how to woo a Vulcan. Spock's advice is to not try. McCoy has another outburst and sarcastically thanks Spock for being such a big help. Spock simply says, you're welcome. And he leaves. McCoy then contacts Kirk over the comm to see if he's up for another drink. The end. Oh, I love
1: that humor at the end. That is great. (laughs) That is what makes the terrific trio. Terrific. It's how they interact with each other. Right. So McCoy finally avails himself of Spock's advice. And Spock says, don't even try. (laughs) (laughs) And then McCoy, of course, sarcastically thanks Spock for his advice. And Spock either is oblivious to the sarcasm, which I don't think is the case, but he actually takes advantage of the sarcasm to ignore it and (laughs) say, you're welcome, doctor. I knew I could be of help. And then McCoy's clawed hands are wanting to be around Spock's throat. Oh, I love it. That's great.
0: No, that's pretty funny.
1: Uh, another, this, this story is another example. You don't have to have you know ship battles and blah, blah, blah. No one even drew a phaser. It's just a group of characters interacting with each other, a nice bit of humor. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Right. No, it was good. Yeah, I just wish that Tahan was in a little bit more. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I would have liked to have known why he was so spitting with her and things like that. <laughs> a
1: Vulcan woman. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and when, when Kirk says, uh, you, you could not pick a more difficult uh, target of your affections to go after, could you? You know, Bones. It's like, I was thinking, what's the deal with this woman? And then we find out. (laughs) I loved it.
0: Yeah, it was funny. I don't have a lot more to say about it,
1: but I just, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I just wish that it had some sort of resolution that uh, that they did go out on a a date or whatever. I I mean, there was resolution. What? I mean, she
1: basically wouldn't have anything to do with him romantically. (laughs) (laughs) That was the resolution. And then, and then Spock told him not to bother. I think, and then McCoy gave up, I assume, and went to have a drink with Kirk, to drown his sorrows. I think that's the resolution. Sorry, right. I McCoy, think you're you right. should
0: you shouldn't even you shouldn't even tried. I mean, <laughs> a Vulcan? Come on. I did like how uh, she says, you know, uh, <laughs> I'll look you up if I'm ever on the ship again, and you're like, she's never going to be on the ship again. Exactly. <laughs> that was pretty
1: funny. Exactly.
0: Just would have been nice if they could have gone out on one date. Give one the old man date. a shot.
1: Exactly one little date to peck on the cheek. You're done.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, I'm done too. I, I, I liked seeing Yeoman Rand on the on the bridge. That was nice. Yeah. Yep.
1: I, I do like when they they call things back like that. Very nice.
0: Right. All right. Shall we move on? Let's do. All right. So the next one is entitled "Unfathom." which is uh, written by Corina Becco and the artist and colorist is by Daniel Irizari. So it starts off with Picard on the Enterprise D ordering Crusher and Yar to a ship that is requesting some assistance. Crusher resists having a security guard assigned to what is probably a medical mission. Yet Picard points out that they don't know exactly what caused the medical emergency Uh, so he orders that they need to be cautious and that's why yar is attending so the two women have to travel to the ship by shuttle and crusher bets yar dinner that this is just a medical mystery and not a security one when they arrive on the ship they meet two crewmen they fill in some of the details of what the emergency is they are testing some sort of new cargo container that compresses matter Yet they seem to have left on this mission without the captain and several other key members of the crew. They say that they can see that people were assigned to those roles on the rosters, but they don't remember ever seeing them or know who they are. The group arrive to the cargo room where they see the giant sphere. And when Crusher touches it, she finds herself in some sort of void with several other people. Meanwhile, in the cargo room, Yar is telling the two crewmen that she alone was assigned by Captain Picard himself to investigate a security issue. And the two men ask, why did Picard send only a security crewman when they requested medical assistance? Since uh, they feel like maybe they're going crazy. Meanwhile, in the void, a.k.a. the Upside Down, Crusher learns from the other people that once something is sucked into this void... Uh, Everybody outside seems to forget about them. They say that they can knock, which is heard from the outside, but the people hearing it always seem to dismiss the noise. And they are actually in the same space as the rest of the ship, but just like in another phase of uh, dimensions or phase of reality, and cannot interact except for the knocking. Crusher then has an idea. She asks them to knock loud enough, to kick up some dust on the floor, and then as it's settling, they write out the word, I'm cooking on the ground. Back in the real world, Yar hears the noise, looks at the container, and then sees the words written in the dust. This somehow triggers a memory of Crusher's bet with her, and she knows that Crusher must be lost in the cargo sphere. She orders that it's opened, and all the trapped crew members are freed. The end.
1: Okay. This wasn't one of my favorites, nope. but I do like seeing Yar back. And I also like seeing Crusher being the lead of the story. I love both of those. I haven't seen Tasha in a story for a while.
0: Yeah. so no, I that li- cool
1: That's what I liked. I, other than that, I'm not that crazy about the story, and I I'm not a fan of the artwork
0: style. I really like the artwork. Do you? Yeah, it reminded me of, like, heavy metal and things like that, those those type of, uh, that comic mm-hmm. book style. It, it reminded me of when I was a kid, like, comics
1: from the 60s that were aimed at the cannabis crowd.
0: Yeah, heavy metal, same thing.
1: And <laughs> I... <laughs> That's a good point. But that was not the 60s, was it? Was heavy metal in the 60s? I don't, uh, know. I don't know. Whatever, doesn't matter. I just... <laughs> I just didn't like the artwork. I like the coloring. The coloring was very vivid and, and nice. And the ships looked good. I mean, but I just don't like the way people's faces were done. I, yeah. I just, I'm not crazy about it. I mean, things were just not, I mean, they're a little out of proportion and just, especially some of these panels, oh my God, Crusher looks like she's almost a, a different species. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like she almost looks like a zombie, especially when she goes into the upside down. Yeah, her skin tone becomes a little greenish.
1: Right. Like she
0: has those big eyes that are kind of like looking around.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say I I, I hate it, but I'm
1: not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah,
0: uh, I, I liked it. It again, it's something different. Yeah, um, it's different. And and Good I, I for that. It. it Really reminded me of like I said those old. Those old uh, shows, and right. well, that shows uh, like heavy metal and things like that, where they had a different take on what a human might look like. <laughs> right,
1: right. I thought the MacGuffin in this story, this way of putting cargo in an alternate reality or something, mm-hmm. and then you know, so you could fit more of it in, and then be able to pull it back out of this alternate reality or something. I didn't quite get the execution. And if it was this experimental <laughs> that people would start vanishing, don't you think they would have figured that out before they deployed it to a ship for, you know, in-the-field trials?
0: Right. Well, it's a, it's a billion ship. It's not a Federation ship.
1: Well, I know. I know. It's, it's private. Private right. cargo haulers. But still, you know, okay, so it's non-Federation. Well, it's private sector technology, but... You probably should test it in the lab first before you, (laughs) and you should know about this. But who knows? Maybe there was just a a glitch that only manifested itself on the ship. I don't know.
0: Exactly. Once it got in, once it was encompassed in a warp bubble. That's what what did it. That's what did it.
1: And there is precedent for this. Because you will remember that the Star Trek video game, the name will come to me. But it's the one we've talked about in the past, yeah, where yeah. it's Voyager Elite, uh, Special Elite, Elite Force. That's it, Elite Force. Yeah. So they explained how you could have these, all these weapons, and you just yeah. swap between them, which is a typical thing with Doom in lots of games. But uh-huh. they explained it by you put it into an alternate dimension, as I recall, well, and I then was you in pull a it back
0: buffer. out. I thought it was in a, a pattern, buffer? Pa- pattern buffer. pattern buffer. I'm pretty sure that's what they
1: I thought said. it was... Okay. I don't remember that. I remember you know, kind it differently.
0: of like how McCoy or Scotty was in that pattern buffer for
1: all those years. Oh, I I know what the pattern buffer is. I just don't remember it being that. Yeah, okay,
0: I thought that's what they said.
1: Okay. So well, it maybe makes sense. maybe I mean, this that's... is not a precedent then, well, uh, I mean, if it is a pattern buffer. But I thought it was an alternate pocket dimension or something. But uh, okay, fine.
0: But this thing, I mean, it's basically a TARDIS, right? So you.
1: Nah. It's, it's a lot bigger
0: <laughs> on the inside than it is on the outside. I
1: know, but, but this place, this, but, this, but that's not what this, well, I, it looks like it's an, a different place physically. And it's a spooky place with misty and people look like they're in some kind of a dreamland shadow place that doesn't seem to have any real floor. Yeah, like
0: the Upside uh, Down. Like the Upside Down. Like I was really down. getting a, a, a an Upside Down
1: Stranger Things vibe. It could be, could
0: be. And I really did not understand how they could knock on the floor and write in the dirt. That made no sense to me. Yeah,
1: that made no, no sense, sense either. So somehow they were able to be in the real by kicking up dust? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you're in one place or the other.
0: Right. All right? I agree. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it. I mean, I guess they couldn't do the whole light thing like uh, like Winona Ryder does. <sighs> They they don't have Christmas lights there. <laughs> so, anyways, this this might be one of my least favorites out of the out of the bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the artwork. I like the idea. I just didn't like how. I mean, I really thought it was kind of cool how everybody would just forget. You know, you got sucked in, and then they're like, "Well, okay. Well, why so, would we leave without a captain?" I don't know, but we wh- did. You know, <laughs> I okay. Thought well, that the, was actually really good. Well, I I thought it was.
1: BS, because why would it have that effect on the people that were there? Now, mind you, you needed that for the story. Otherwise, they would know there was something really wrong with that device, the Death Star device. looks like the Death Star. And you wouldn't go near it. So they needed that forgetting part. But I thought that was all contrived, in my opinion. Right. So I didn't... I mean, that... It is kind of interesting that they would lose their memory about it, but it also seems a little contrived to me. But
0: right, and then my thing is, how how far away from the sphere would everybody forget that person? Right. So did their parents on Earth forget that they ever had a kid? Right. You know, did it go that far? Uh, Yeah. I didn't Uh, think about that. That's an interesting. But then, and then also, if you did forget about it, like they implied, you know, we didn't even have a captain Mm -hmm. when we left then why would yar and then yar she obviously doesn't remember crusher at all either because she's like i was i was sent here by Picard himself you know that kind of thing right i was sent here by myself with by Picard, you know that kind of thing and then suddenly she's like i'm cooking <gasps> i know i remember bev you know it's just like yeah. why why if you forgot why would her, that trigger her, right right because reading How about, a, a, here's a another thing name you would remember oh look <laughs> captain so and so oh yeah, I, I remember yeah. her
1: or Beverly yep. Crusher. You know
0: brighter <laughs> name in the dirt. Uh, whatever. Yeah, maybe you had to hit a un, un a subliminal a, or something. memory. Maybe. Yeah, I maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I didn't like that part. That was the part that I did not like. Yeah. Well this the
1: one this one and the next one are the ones I I like the
0: least. The next one I definitely like the least. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. All right. You want to go on to the next one, please? All right. This one is called The Swift Spoke. For no obvious reason. Yeah, you're right. I don't understand that title. That's weird. All right. So the writer is Michaela Ward and Matt Sheehan. The artist and colorist is by Michaela Ward. The story is about a very young Janeway. She is not captain. She is maybe a lieutenant commander. She's wearing a TNG season one science officer onesie. And she's taking a shuttle to the planet called Ajita. I keep wanting to say agenda because that's what it looks like. But there's no N, so it's Ajita. I guess. I don't know. Anyways, she's going there to the planet. And uh, one of the people assigned her away mission is a Vulcan named Tuvok, which she does not care for too much. I guess he uh, said something bad about her or berated her or something, uh, pointed out something she did wrong in front of some muckety-muck, and now she does not like this guy. Anyways, the shuttle goes down to the planet to the coordinates provided. There they find two large floating crystals. They do not know what these crystals are, but Tubot tersely confirms that they are not holograms. Suddenly, they form into large alien creatures that welcome them. Then there is a sudden flash in the sky with a word balloon of tafum, and now the universal translators seem to not be working anymore. The sky then lights up again with a fushum. Now there is a huge alien ship towering above them, and it starts firing at them. They run towards the shuttle, but another froom, and the ground is suddenly made out of lava. Another couple of transformations, but eventually Janeway makes it to her shuttle. She assumes that the transformations are not hostile, but they cannot understand what they mean. The alien then appears and says that they're sorry. I guess the communicator's working again. And then Janeway says that they will be back once they know how to properly communicate. And then on the way back to the ship, Janeway and Tuvok marvel. On how the planet was able to switch dimensions like that. Perhaps this Tubak is a kindred spirit after all. The end. Okay. So you, this is your least favorite?
1: Uh, yeah. Now, mind you, I love seeing Captain Janeway in a younger role as a first officer. That's yep. cool. Something different. Haven't seen her I, that I before. Liked her I like her
0: haircut. I like the way
1: they drew her. Exactly. And I also liked that they appear to be in a Stargazer-class ship. So I love that. And I also like the fact that Tuvok's there. So it's cool seeing Tuvok, although he's kind of a a not nice person. That's just maybe the way he was. I mean, he was always kind of terse in the show, too. But uh, he he seems to be kind of a, a poopy head in here, especially since Janeway is a superior officer. Because she's the first officer, um, right. and she's got more pips, so it's like—is is he? Does he think he was? I mean, he's like—is it like a uh, a Burnham? Uh, what's his name? Kind of comp- competitive
0: thing going on?
1: I don't know, but he just—I uh, I, don't—I don't like the way Tuvok is being presented here. But whatever. Right.
0: Yeah, and it got me wondering. So this is after he left and came back. So. Because he was in Starfleet back in the Sulu time frame, and then he left for a while, and then he came back.
1: Uh Ah. So now he came back and is only a lieutenant?
0: Yeah, because he was pretty Looking at his pips. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. He seemed like he came back downgraded. Ah. bridge officer when he was on Sulu's ship.
1: Okay, well, that would give more of a reason.
0: I mean, he shouldn't be emotional like that. Well, wouldn't you think that would be emotion? Not
1: if you're a Vulcan, you're
0: not supposed
1: to. Exactly, exactly. of my point? Anyway, I wasn't crazy about it. Um, I was kind of wondering if the artist used, whether he just said, okay, I know what Captain Janeway looks like. What would she look like if she was younger and then drew that? Or did they use, did he use older photos of Kate Mulgrew? Because she's been around a while, uh, actress. So there must be a lot of photos out there. In fact, I went out and looked for some. So I did find some because, of course, she was Mrs. Columbo for two seasons. So I got some photos when she was Mrs. Columbo, which, by the way, she was far younger than Peter Falk when he played Mr. Columbo, but whatever. I mean, kind of kind of ooky. Kind of ooky. And then I found some other photos of her. And, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the artist did, but I could definitely see that he might have used some of the um, – Older uh, press photos hmm. of her to help with how he drew her. Did she ever have this haircut? No, no, she never had the haircut. No, she ne- that uh, I'm I'm saying she used it maybe for the um,
0: yeah I get the it. face face, the face and things like that. Yeah, yeah, because I mean it does definitely a lot of times looks just like Kate Mulgrew if she was you know 20 years younger or whatever. Exactly. Who with knows? a Tasha Yar haircut for some reason. <laughs> Maybe that was the style back then.
1: Maybe that was the style, but it's, it's sassy. She
0: looks sassy. Overall, the story, I did not care for it at all. The whole changing dimensions, and it was really, really weird. And then the alien craft that was above them, the, the huge alien craft, looked like something from an anime. It actually had a face or something on it. Yeah. Or actually had, like, multiple faces. So there was, like... One larger face, and then, like, the nose also had a face. I, I don't know. It was it was very weird show.
1: Well, exactly. So the whole thing was weird. Um, and maybe, you know, that's what they're trying to get across, is that, you know, nine times out of ten, because of budgetary issues, uh, hey, here's a new alien. Oh, there you go. They're humans with, with you know, with some prosthetics on their face sure or maybe some trill tattoos or something other than that they're human now the aliens i liked;
0: it was the ship i didn't like
1: well well, okay but if i could if i could finish Um, oh i'm sorry so the only way i like this is that they presented aliens that were very different much bigger than humans much bigger much taller and they have all these little, little tentacle trunk somethings coming off of them. And their heads and their faces are very different looking. I mean, it almost looks like something that would have come out of um, Pan's Labyrinth or something uh, in mm-hmm. the face. And, um, and then they're, they're so different physically. And then not only that, but their whole world is so different from our and most aliens that Starfleet has come into contact with. Even existence. So this planet actually jumps between existences? Is that right? Jumps between dimensions? That's what they say. Okay. And, but they live on this planet, the aliens, as, and they stay there, but the world around them jumps between dimensions. It's so it seems. Right. Huh. Well, that would be disconcerting. They made it very different. And that's the only thing I'm saying good about this one, (laughs) from a story standpoint. It's just very confusing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And maybe uh, in reality, when and if we do meet aliens, they will be so different from us. (laughs) Things will probably go more like this than it does with your normal away mission.
0: I'm pretty sure while you're running on the ground, it won't suddenly turn into lava.
1: (laughs) True, true.
0: I doubt that happens.
1: Well, there you go. Well, if you're jumping yeah. between dimensions, somehow magically,
0: yeah.
1: mister, who
0: knows? Right. I guess so. Yeah, it just reminded me of when they were running, and then it was like, oh, now it's lava. There it just kind of <laughs> reminded me of when you're a kid, and you're like, oh, oh the ground, yeah, the ground's yeah. lava, and you're jumping from you couch go. to chair. Exactly. To... There you go. Imagination. That's what it, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, that's all I have to say about this one. I'm just looking forward
0: to Worf's Batmobile. Worf's Batmobile? That's the next one? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not know that's what it was called. All right. Well, I guess I'll move on to it then. Well, do you have see. anything else to say about this one? I really don't know. I think the artwork was okay. Probably just was a general good. statement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the last one is entitled The First Year. Its writer is Thom Zalir, artist by Andy Price, and colorist is Mark Roberts. So it starts on Quonos. The Klingon ambassador Worf has requested no appointments for the rest of the day. Despite this, a slender woman arrives into the office. Annoyance dissolves a bit when Worf realizes that the intruder is Ezri Dax. She says she's here to honor Jadzia on what would be the one-year anniversary in Klingon years of her death. So I guess Kronos takes a longer time to go around the sun than Earth and other planets, but uh, according to this, it's only been one Klingon year since Jadzia died. Worf then agrees to take Ezri along for the day on the tasks that he has to perform. So one of the things he has to do is prepare an arena for a fight later between the Klingon liaison from Andor. So it seems like this Klingon guy was uh, involved in some illegal shenanigans, and then he declared diplomatic immunity so that he did not get uh, fined or imprisoned there on Andor. As Worf and Ezri prepare the arena, they start sparring a bit with some battleths. And as they are fighting from time to time, Ezra's form is replaced with Jedzia at different moments in uh, Worf's life. So they continue to spar, and Ezra states that Worf is running away. He does admit that life on Kronos with the Klingons is not as fulfilling as he had hoped, and is not as fulfilling as it was when he was in Starfleet. The sparring continues, and Worf even sees Jedzia in her wedding gown. As the sparring ends, the two sit in the dirt to take a break. When the liaison arrives, Worf just backhands him and tells him that he has no honor and he needs to just do his job and not break laws and never claim diplomatic immunity. Worf and Ezra leave and he decides that he will reach out to Picard to seek some assistance on how to rejoin Starfleet. The End End Okay, so it, is it Ezra or Ezri? Uh, yeah, I might have switched them a time or two. It's Ezra, Ezri, Ezri, I think. Is what okay, it is. with an I at the end. Okay, with an I at the end. Okay,
1: I like this story for multiple reasons, but probably my favorite is Worf driving around in a futuristic Batmobile. Look at that thing! It's got fins. <laughs>
0: Well everything in the Klingon homeworld has fins. It does? Well look at their their knives. Oh. Instead of just having a practical knife, you gotta put all these weird bins in it. Okay, okay.
1: I just love that. It just it when I saw that it was like, What the heck? Do you get that when you're an ambassador? <laughs> cool. That's the ambassador mobile. <laughs> the ambassador mobile, exactly. So it's you know, it's an anti grav speeder kind of thing. Right, so it's hovering it looks like. No wheels or anything. No wheels. But they have shaped it in such a
0: way that Michael Keaton would really enjoy it, I think. Upon looking at it with that with that thought in my head, I can't not see the Batmobile. (laughs) But I did not notice it when I read it the first time.
1: Okay, okay. Anyway, but yeah, so that's great. One of the things I really liked about this one. And the artwork is, is great. I I think it's very is
0: fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: very nice job done. Is I wondered what happened to Worf after DS9 ended, and he became the ambassador. And but we know that eventually he went back to Starfleet and eventually became the captain of the Enterprise, at least in some novels. Right. So I just didn't know how that happened, and at least the story postulates how that happened. So I, right. I kind of like it from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, no, I liked it too. I mean, it's kind of cool that uh, these waypoints seem to be filling in, or n- not necessarily waypoints, but just these IDW books are kind of retconning um, how certain events happen. Like in the Q conflict, mm-hmm. we learned why Wesley is suddenly a, not a traveler anymore and he's a federation and mm-hmm. person in nemesis for no reason. Right. So they kind of... Re- they retconned that, and here they are retconning why, why Worf was a Federation officer in nemesis, which I never understood.
1: There you go. Exactly. So, like you, they want to have answers, damn it. And if they can't get them from the producers of the movies and TV shows, they'll write them themselves.
0: They'll find so. their own answers. So, no, I was quite pleased with the way this one ended. Me too. And Me too. I liked, I, I thought that this was a little more organic on how Ezra was, in Worf's eyes, was changing into Jadzia mm-hmm. better than when, Jit, when Ezra was just talking to the ghost versions of herself. Right. And that previous story. Right. Because this was really Worf dealing with losing her, right? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really good.
1: Yes, that was a good part of it. Because a lot of times it's like characters, especially action hero lead characters, their wives die all the time you know james Bond uh Benjamin Sisko. I mean they're dying all over the place. You can't be an action hero with your wife not dying. You better not even get married so but they really i mean yeah he i I think Michael Doran had a chance to do some some decent scenes about that in the in d s nine but this continues to make it more of a three dimensional character right uh talking about that, yeah, and in her dual role as uh, Esri Mm in her dual role of a counselor and having Jadzia in her head what a perfect person to help Worf. Exactly. So that all made a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: My my only complaint about the book is um, the year thing. Because it Mm. seemed like Deep Space Nine Season 7 was a year. Right? Because I mean you had the fallout of the Dominion War and all that stuff, that Mm -hmm. didn't seem like it was quick. So you're saying that all of that last season, plus anything that happened after that, you know, was only one Klingon year. Uh, Because, I mean, even Worf says it's been longer than a year. uh, Yeah. She's like, oh no, it's a year in Klingon time. So, I mean, I get that different planets are going to rotate slower or faster than Earth, but Mm -hmm. uh, it seems excessive. It seems like a lot of time has passed.
1: Right. And what's even more interesting is that she is a lieutenant commander in this story.
0: Which is what which is yeah, what was, or which is what um, uh, Jadzia. What's her name? No. Jadzia. What's name? Yeah, Jadzia. Yeah. That's what yeah. she was when they first met. Well,
1: and it's kind of cool that they got the two pictures they have two panels right next to each other while they're flying in the wharf mobile, mm-hmm. and the left panel shows Ezri, and then the right panel shows Zia and they've got their even the uniforms are, are correct, the uh, the shirt color, and uh, well, yeah, actually the, the tunic in general color, and they both have lieutenant commander uh, pips. Right. So, in one year, is that a mistake?
0: I. She might not have As been – she might not have been a, a – I don't know what her rank was when she came onto the ship or when she came onto the station. But right. I think she was an instant. She had one pip on. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So uh, let's say, let's say that, that's correct. So the, the series
1: ends. She's got one pip. We just saw a story with her in the previous special. She had lieutenant junior grade pips. And now, which could have been pretty soon after DS9 – Right. And then we have this, which is supposed to be a Klingon year. How long is a Klingon year? Um, After DS9 ended?
0: Well, no, after Jadzia died, which was in season six, seven.
1: Oh, okay. So how long long is a Klingon
0: year? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, she died in season six. Ezri came on in season seven. Yeah. So it means all of season seven happened, plus anything that happened after that. And now it's one Klingon year later. Right. Like I said, that's my only beef about the whole episode, this whole, whole story, story because yeah. it just seems like that Klingon year is long. <laughs> Way long. Ha. <laughs> huh.
1: Yeah. And but, but but even it just seems like a like like an acceleration. She shouldn't be this high rank already.
0: Right. I agree. Anyway. Yeah, so even if she got, like, an extra pip during the Dominion War uh, on that first year, I mean, but now she's got another one. Right. Two and a half pips. Right. That's that's a pretty big jump in less than a year. Yep. Or, well, in one Klingon year. (laughs) In one Klingon year, she jumped two pips, basically.
1: I don't see how that happens. But whatever. It's... It's consistency. a consistency. It's a comic book, exactly. Let's not be too picky about things, shall we? So I like how uh, Worf handles business. <laughs> I mean, he may he may be an ambassador,
0: but he's taking care of business the old-fashioned Klingon way. All right. Now, who was the who was the liaison supposed to fight in this in this battle? Was it always supposed to be Worf? Or I, it, what it ended up being is totally not what I expected. Right. And I think what it ended up being was not what it was supposed to be, right? I mean, he just got pissed off and punched him out and said, you have no honor. You don't even deserve to fight. You know, that kind of thing. But yeah. Who, who was he there to fight? Was it always supposed to be Warf? I didn't think it would be. It was not
1: what I was expecting at all. But, but if really, in the end, it just turned out to be he had a little bit of uh, human resources, uh, disciplinary action to take, then so be it. Worf took care of it. And also interesting seeing the opening shot on Kronos, where is the embassy? And the UFP flag is, or banner, is waving. And it's the embassy, United Federation of Planets. Right. Um,
0: and, and I, in, I just thought that in, was really interesting. In English too. In English, exactly. So, what Klingons are going to know what this thing is? Exactly. So yeah. So I guess he's he's the ambassador on Kronos, but he still for, works for the Federation. Right. Because when he became
1: when he became ambassador, I didn't know. I guess I didn't even think about it. I just knew he became ambassador. I wasn't I wasn't sure if he became ambassador. Of Klingon, a Klingon ambassador to the United Federation Right or whether he was a Federation ambassador to the Klingons Right Now, this clearly insinuates he works for, for United Federation of Planets Right But at the, when the dust settled towards the end of last season of DS9 wasn't he kind of really buddy-buddy with the Klingons and everything at that point?
0: Well, not only that, but he was the chancellor for a short bit. Right. Because he he killed Galran, became chancellor, and then gave the chancellorship to Martok. There you go. So wouldn't... I
1: thought he was more aligned with the Klingons at that time. Same here. So seeing this is a little confusing. Agreed. Yeah. And plus, look at his outfit. I mean, maybe he's just blending in with the natives, but that's not a
0: Starfleet uniform. Not even close. It's Klingon. Kind of like how when Picard was ambassador on Vulcan, he was wearing Vulcan robes. Oh. Interesting You know, in that that countdown book that doesn't count anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Now,
1: that's so funny that they would have Picard being the ambassador on Vulcan. I mean, wouldn't you think in general – I mean, the humans and Vulcans have been together so long, there wouldn't be, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of issues to deal with, that they would deploy Picard there.
0: But the story but... was taking place on Vulcan, and they needed Picard to be there. I know. So That's, that fine. Was, That's fine. That was why that happened. There you go. Okay. But yeah, no, I agree with you. It, it doesn't make sense. Plus, he, he never really seemed like he was that involved in Vulcans. He was always involved with Klingon stuff. Yeah. But,
1: uh, well, uh, but then all that Romulan stuff, too. That's true. Uh, with unification and everything, but eh, whatever. Okay. So let me see. Is there anything else to say? Uh, I don't have
0: anything else to say. Me either. I think this was probably one of my favorites, this and the the Decker one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. This is up there with the Decker one. And uh, I also have that, uh, the histories one that I liked a lot too. Yeah. Good. So, all right three out of eight that's not bad that's a good that's a good that's that's a pretty
0: good batting average so next week episode 319 uh we're gonna do some year five some idw year five is that right
1: yes that sounds great so we've caught up with the uh i've got i think i may have to uh purchase a book or two but um yeah so we finally caught up to having three
0: uh, well, we got way more than three, I think. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah, so we'll do seven, eight, and nine of uh, year five. Great. Yeah, maybe we'll finally find out who's, who has that gun up to Kirk's head.
1: Oh. Cool. Probably. So, uh, I hope you guys are looking forward to it. I know we are. Yep. So, thanks for joining us on The Review.
0: Later.
1: Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review Just get the hell out of here